the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we could not know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible. A 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. And here we are, thanking you for being a part of the broadcast, being a part of the program, being a part of our little band as we move each and every weeknight through the Bible. I always pray that you will be so blessed and so encouraged, and that each and every one of you, as we listen to the Bible each night, that God himself would speak into your heart that there would always be some lesson, some instruction, some encouragement, some answer that you need, perhaps, in your life that you're dealing with right now, that God would speak to your heart by His Spirit through the Word. I am just full of faith that God will do that, because that's His way. That's what He's promised to do, and we are excited each and every evening to come and be with you. Tonight we will finish the book of Second Chronicles. These are the closing chapters, 34 through 36. It's been a wonderful adventure this year through the books of Chronicles. Remember, this is a selected history presented to the people of Israel by Ezra, the scribe, with Nehemiah, with Zerubbabel, part of the leadership that leads the people of Israel, those who are returning. If I remember correctly, the numbers are somewhere 14 to 16,000 people that returned from Babylon after the 70 years of exile taken out of their land by Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus the Great of the Medo-Persian Empire, he is the one that allows them to go back. And Ezra now has given this selected history from the southern tribe of Judah, the lineage of King David. And so it's been a wonderful read this year. I'll tell you a little bit more about it, some of the things I've gotten and the emphasis that we've given, and then we'll finish up our read tonight from the book of Second Chronicles. And tomorrow, in our next reading, we'll go back to the New Testament, right on into Paul's epistle to the Romans. A remarkable book. You won't want to miss that. Hear the entire book of Romans with us. Right now, though, before we get into Chronicles tonight, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, a beautiful Psalm 89, talking about God's promise to preserve David's descendants. God's promise is fulfilled in the Messiah himself, in Jesus, who will reign for eternity. The Bible Life. Psalm 89, 19 through 34. 
You once spoke in a vision to your prophet and said, I have given help to a warrior. I have selected him from the common people to be king. I have found my servant David. I have anointed him with my holy oil. I will steady him and I will make him strong. His enemies will not get the best of him, nor will the wicked overpower him. I will beat down his adversaries before him and destroy those who hate him. My faithfulness and unfailing love will be with him, and he will rise to power because of me. I will extend his rule from the Mediterranean Sea in the west to the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in the east. And he will say to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will make him my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. I will love him and be kind to him forever. My covenant with him will never end. I will preserve an heir for him. His throne will be as endless as the days of heaven. But if his sons forsake my law and fail to walk in my ways, if they do not obey my decrees and fail to keep my commands, then I will punish their sin with the rod and their disobedience with beating. But I will never stop loving him nor let my promise to him fail. No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. End of reading Psalm 89, 19-34 Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. of Israel's continual disobedience throughout her history, it's an amazing promise that God gave to us tonight in the, the reading from Psalm 89, an amazing promise that a descendant of David would always sit on the throne. But of course, here conditionally we see as well that if the people disobeyed, they would be punished. And of course, we understand and see that taking place in the people of Israel as well. God has warned them over and over again of so many different ways that he would discipline them and punish them for disobeying and breaking their covenant with him, always with the idea of bringing them back to himself. And yet, ultimately, out of all of those different punishments, from famine and drought to wars and inept, corrupt leaders that he would send to discipline them, which we ought to pay attention to that ourselves a little bit here in America, Yet even through their disobedience and punishment, God would never break faith with them in the sense of breaking that promise to have one in the lineage of David that would always sit on the throne eternally. Now, we see all of the other punishments and disciplines take place, like I said, the famines and droughts, but even now to being conquered and being exiled to other lands and taken out of the land, which they were in the north, the northern ten tribes, and now even Judah. Tonight we will read about the end of the time of Israel in the land of Judah, in the city of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar will come on his third invasion. They will destroy the temple. We will read about that tonight in our reading from Second Chronicles. 
But at the same time, centuries later, the Messiah arrived, the eternal king from David's lineage, just as God had promised. And all God's promises are fulfilled. They do happen. They come to pass. We're going to see that. So there's wonderful lessons we're learning now from the book of Second Chronicles. One is about leadership, the relationship between leadership and the people. We need to apply that to our times in which we live. And about God's faithfulness as it points to the Messiah. Tonight, we're looking at the reign of little King Josiah, eight years old, when he takes the throne on the Bible life. 2 Chronicles 34, 1 through 36, 23. 2 Chronicles 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside from doing what was right. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. Then in the twelfth year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols and cast images. He saw to it that the altars for the images of Baal and their incense altars were torn down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the pagan priests on their own altars, and so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. He did the same thing in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, even as far as Naphtali. He destroyed the pagan altars and the Asherah poles, and he crushed the idols into dust. He cut down the incense altars throughout the land of Israel and then returned to Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of his reign, after he had purified the land and the temple, Josiah appointed Shaphan, son of Azaliah, Maaseiah, the governor of Jerusalem, and Joah, son of Joahaz, the royal historian, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They gave Hilkiah, the high priest, the money that had been collected by the Levites who served as gatekeepers at the temple of God. The gifts were brought by people from Manasseh, Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, as well as from all Judah, Benjamin, and the people of Jerusalem. He entrusted the money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they paid the workers who did the repairs and renovation. Thus they hired carpenters and masons, and purchased cut stone for the walls, and timber for the rafters and beams. They restored what earlier kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The workers served faithfully under the leadership of Jahath and Obadiah, Levites of the Merarite clan, and Zechariah and Meshulam, Levites of the Kohathite clan. Other Levites, all of whom were skilled musicians, were put in charge of the laborers of the various trades. Still others assisted as secretaries, officials, and gatekeepers. As Hilkiah the high priest was recording the money collected at the Lord's temple, he found the book of the law of the Lord, as it had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan. Shaphan took the scroll to the king and reported, Your officials are doing everything they were assigned to do. The money that was collected at the temple of the Lord has been given to the supervisors and workmen. Shaphan also said to the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Achbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the court secretary, and Asaiah the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for all the remnant of Israel and Judah. 
ask him about the words written in this scroll that has been found. The Lord's anger has been poured out against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing what this scroll says we must do. So Hilkiah and the other men went to the newer Mishnah section of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, and grandson of Harhas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go and tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. I will certainly destroy this city and its people. All the curses written in the scroll you have read will come true, for the people of Judah have abandoned me and worshipped pagan gods, and I am very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will be poured out against this place, and nothing will be able to stop it. But go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord, and tell him, This is what the Lord the God of Israel says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before God when you heard what I said against this city and its people. You humbled yourself and tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. So I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. I will not send the promised disaster against this city and its people until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her message back to the king. Then the king summoned all the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, regulations, and laws with all his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. As the people of Jerusalem did this, they renewed their covenant with God, the God of their ancestors. So Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. And throughout the rest of his lifetime, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Chronicles 35 Then Josiah announced that the Passover of the Lord would be celebrated in Jerusalem on the appointed day in early spring. The Passover lambs were slaughtered at twilight of that day. Josiah also assigned the priests to their duties and encouraged them in their work at the temple of the Lord. He issued this order to the Levites, who had been set apart to serve the Lord and were teachers in Israel. Since the ark is now in Solomon's temple and you do not need to carry it back and forth on your shoulders, spend your time serving the Lord your God and his people Israel. Report for duty according to the family divisions of your ancestors, following the written instructions of King David of Israel and the instructions of his son Solomon. Then stand in your appointed holy places and help the families assigned to you as they bring their offerings to the temple. Slaughter the Passover lambs, purify yourselves, and prepare to help those who come. Follow all the instructions that the Lord gave through Moses. Then Josiah contributed from his personal property 30,000 lambs and young goats for the people's Passover offerings, and 3,000 bulls. The king's officials also made willing contributions to the people, priests, and Levites. Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jehiel, the administrators of God's temple, gave the priests 2,600 lambs and young goats and 300 bulls as Passover offerings. 
the Levite leaders, Conaniah and his brothers Shemaiah and Nethanel, and Hashabiah, Jael, and Josabad, gave 5,000 lambs and young goats and 500 bulls to the Levites for their Passover offerings. When everything was ready for the Passover celebration, the priests and the Levites took their places, organized by their divisions, according to the king's orders. The Levites then slaughtered the Passover lambs and presented the blood to the priests, who sprinkled the blood on the altar while the Levites prepared the animals. They divided the burnt offerings among the people by their family groups, so they could offer them to the Lord according to the instructions recorded in the book of Moses. They did the same with the bulls. Then they roasted the Passover lambs as prescribed, and they boiled the holy offerings in pots, kettles, and pans, and brought them out quickly so the people could eat them. Afterward, the Levites prepared a meal for themselves and for the priests, because the priests had been busy from morning till night offering the burnt offerings and the fat portions. The Levites took responsibility for all these preparations. The musicians, descendants of Asaph, were in their assigned places, following the orders given by David, Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer. The gatekeepers guarded the gates and did not need to leave their posts of duty, for their meals were brought to them by their fellow Levites. The entire ceremony for the Lord's Passover was completed that day. All the burnt offerings were sacrificed on the altar of the Lord, as King Josiah had ordered. All the Israelites present in Jerusalem celebrated Passover and the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. Never since the time of the prophet Samuel had there been such a Passover. None of the kings of Israel had ever kept a Passover as Josiah did, involving all the priests and Levites, all the people of Jerusalem, and people from all over Judah and Israel. This Passover celebration took place in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. After Josiah had finished restoring the temple, King Necho of Egypt led his army up from Egypt to do battle at Karchemish on the Euphrates River, and Josiah and his army marched out to fight him. But King Necho sent ambassadors to Josiah with this message, What do you want with me, King of Judah? I have no quarrel with you today. I only want to fight the nation with which I am at war, and God has told me to hurry. Do not interfere with God, who is with me, or he will destroy you. But Josiah refused to listen to Necho, to whom God had indeed spoken, and he would not turn back. Instead, he led his army into battle on the plain of Megiddo. He laid aside his royal robe so the enemy would not recognize him. But the enemy archers hit King Josiah with their arrows and wounded him. He cried out to his men, Take me from the battle, for I am badly wounded. So they lifted Josiah out of his chariot and placed him in another chariot. Then they brought him back to Jerusalem, where he died. He was buried there in the royal cemetery. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. The prophet Jeremiah composed funeral songs for Josiah, and to this day choirs still sing these sad songs about his death. These songs of sorrow have become a tradition and are recorded in the Book of Laments. The rest of the events of Josiah's reign and his acts of devotion done according to the written law of the Lord, from beginning to end, are recorded in the Book of the Kings of Israel and Judah. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Chronicles 36 Then the people of the land took Josiah's son Jehoahaz and made him the next king in Jerusalem. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, but he reigned only three months. Then he was deposed by Necho, the king of Egypt, who demanded a tribute from Judah of 7,500 pounds of silver and 75 pounds of gold. The king of Egypt appointed Eliakim, the brother of Jehoahaz, 
as the next king of Judah and Jerusalem, and he changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. Then Necho took Jehoahaz to Egypt as a prisoner. Jehoiakim was twenty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eleven years, but he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Then King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and captured it, and he bound Jehoiakim in chains and led him away to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took some of the treasures from the temple of the Lord, and he placed them in his palace in Babylon. The rest of the events of Jehoiakim's reign, including all the evil things he did, and everything found against him, are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Then his son Jehoiakim became the next king. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, but he reigned in Jerusalem only three months and ten days. Jehoiakim did what was evil in the Lord's sight. In the spring of the following year, Jehoiakim was summoned to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Many treasures from the temple of the Lord were taken to Babylon at that time. And Nebuchadnezzar appointed Jehoiakim's uncle, Zedekiah, to be the next king in Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and he refused to humble himself in the presence of the prophet Jeremiah, who spoke for the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he had taken an oath of loyalty in God's name. Zedekiah was a hard and stubborn man, refusing to turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, desecrating the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained, and there was no remedy. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young and old, men and women, healthy and sick. God handed them all over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king also took home to Babylon all the utensils, large and small, used in the temple of God, and the treasures from both the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He also took with him all the royal princes. Then his army set fire to the temple of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken away to Babylon, and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate for seventy years, just as the prophet had said. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled Jeremiah's prophecy by stirring the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation into writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem in the land of Judah. All of you who are the Lord's people may return to Israel for this task. May the Lord your God be with you. End of reading, 2 Chronicles 34, 1 through 36, 23. We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength 
Problems do not just go away. When you have problems that are sin-based, you have to repent. You have to turn from those practices and then attack the very causes. That was one of the great strengths of Josiah as a leader. He saw the sin in the land. He eliminated the practice of the sin, but he went beyond that. He attacked the causes the idolatry, the immorality, the worship of pagan and false gods. He attacked the causes that led to such immoral practices. That was a lifelong passion of Josiah's as he began as a young child to follow the Lord and as he led the people. Josiah is considered to be one of the truly great kings of Israel. His great characteristic is his willingness to obey God. He took very specific steps. He wasn't just a big talker, but not walking the walk. He talked, he repented, and yet he took steps to lead the people into obedience, into following God. Now, Hezekiah also, as we read about earlier, one of the great kings, the great characteristic that Hezekiah is remembered for is his faith, his willingness to believe God, his prayer life in particular. He trusted God when Sennacherib invaded. He had great faith toward God. The child king, Josiah, is one I admire so much. Remember now that Josiah was predicted by name something like 250 years before, back in the time of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Remember when Jeroboam was dedicating these altars to false gods, an old prophet stood and said, one of the descendants of David named Josiah, he even gave the name will someday destroy this altar and defile this altar with the bones of prophets. Josiah did that. Josiah was killed by King Necho. Babylon became the new world power after overthrowing Assyria. The famous Battle of Carchemish was the beginning of the Babylonians' rise to world dominion. Ezra is very good in explaining to us why God punished the people of Israel, and we would do really well to pay attention. Two great lessons that we see as we look at this selected history that Ezra has prepared for the people. It was intended to help the people recuperate their sense of being, their sense of purpose in life as the people of promise, the people of the covenant with God. And as he goes through these kings, we see over and over again God's goodness and faithfulness. And yet we see man's tendency to compromise and man's tendency not to follow through, to compromise our faith Whether it's for money or whether it's for security, whatever it is, we compromise our faith and we compromise God's righteousness. But the other great lesson is God is faithful. The Messiah did come. There is one seated on the throne of David. His name is Jesus. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America. And your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget... Join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. 
start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 